Section 2 of a Collection of the Facts and Documents Relative to the Death of Major General Alexander Hamilton by William Coleman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1 continued. General Hamilton's Will. In the name of God, amen. I, Alexander Hamilton, of the City of New York, Counselor at Law, do make this my last will and testament as follows. First, I point John B. Church, Nicholas Fish, and Nathaniel Pendleton of the City aforesaid Esquires to be executors and trustees of this my will, and I devise to them their heirs and assigns as joint tenants and not as tenants in common, all my estate real and personal whatsoever and wheresoever upon trust at their discretion to sell and dispose of the same at such time and times in such manner and upon such terms as they, the survivors and survivor, shall think fit, and out of the proceeds to pay all the debts which I shall owe at the time of my decease, in whole if the fund be sufficient, proportionably if it shall be insufficient, and the residue, if any there shall be, to pay and deliver to my excellent and dear wife Elizabeth Hamilton." Though if it should please God to spare my life, I may look for a considerable surplus out of my present property, yet if he should speedily call me to the eternal world, a forced sale, as is usual, may possibly render it insufficient to satisfy my debts. I pray God that something may remain for the maintenance and education of my dear wife and children. But should it, on the contrary, happen that there is not enough for the payment of my debts, I entreat my dear children, if they or any of them should ever be able, to make up the deficiency. I, without hesitation, commit to their delicacy a wish which is dictated by my own. Though conscious that I have too far sacrificed the interests of my family to public avocations, and on this account have the less claim to burthen my children, yet I trust in their magnanimity to appreciate as they ought this my request. In so unfavorable an event of things, the support of their dear mother, with the most respectful and tender attention, is a duty, all the sacredness of which they will feel. Probably her own patrimonial resources will preserve her from indigence. But in all situations they are charged to bear in mind that she has been to them the most devoted and best of mothers. In testimony whereof I have hereunto subscribed my hand, the ninth day of July, in the year of our Lord, 1804. Alexander Hamilton. Signed, sealed, published, and declared, as and for his last will and testament, in our presence, who have subscribed the same in his presence, the words John B. Church being above interlined. Dominic F. Blake, Graham Newell, Theo B. Value. New York Surrogate's Office, SS, July 16, 1804. I do hereby certify the preceding to be a true copy of the original will of Alexander Hamilton, deceased, now on file at my office, Sylvanius Miller, surrogate. The impression which his death made on all classes of people in the city will best be seen by the following proceedings. At a numerous and respectable meeting of merchants and other citizens of New York at the Tontine Coffee House last evening, Mr. William W. Woolsey was called to the chair and Mr. Maturin Livingston appointed secretary. 
The meeting, having been informed of the melancholy event of General Alexander Hamilton's decease, and being deeply sensible of the irreparable loss which the United States have sustained by the death of a man whose public and private virtues have endeared him to his friends and acquaintances, whose patriotism, talents, integrity, and eminent services have rendered him peculiarly valuable to his country, and being anxiously desirous to render to so great and distinguished a character the last tribute in their power, resolve that this meeting will unite with their fellow citizens of all classes in every suitable demonstration of sorrow for the death of General Alexander Hamilton, and that for this purpose they recommend to the citizens at large to shut up their stores and generally to suspend business on Saturday the 14th instant, and to assemble at the house of Mr. Church in Robinson Street at 10 o'clock in the forenoon, to perform a procession to attend the remains of the deceased." that it be recommended to the owners and masters of vessels to direct the colors of all the vessels in the harbor to be hoisted half-mast during the whole of Saturday next, that Mr. Henderson, Mr. M. Livingston, Mr. A. Jackson, Mr. J. Kane, and Mr. H. I. Wyckoff be a committee on the part of this meeting to meet such persons as may be appointed by other bodies of their fellow citizens in order to make such further arrangements as the occasion may require. William W. Wolseley, Chairman, Maturin Livingston, Secretary. The Committee of Arrangement appointed at the meeting at the Tontine Coffee House on the 12th instant in conformity with the sense of the meeting expressed on that occasion requests their fellow citizens in general to wear a crepe on the left arm for 30 days as a testament of their respect for the integrity, virtues, talents, and patriotism of General Alexander Hamilton, deceased. July 13th. City of New York, S.S. In Common Council, July 13, 1804. Resolved unanimously that the Common Council of the City of New York entertained the most unfeigned sorrow and regret for the death of their fellow citizen, Alexander Hamilton, and with a view to pay a suitable respect to his past life and future memory, and to afford the most unequivocal testimony of the great loss, which in the opinion of the Common Council, not only this city, but the State of New York and the United States have sustained by the death of this great and good man, the Common Council do unanimously recommend that the usual business of the day be dispensed with by all classes of inhabitants, and resolved unanimously that the ordinance prohibiting the tolling of bells at funerals be on this occasion suspended, and that it be recommended to those who have the charge of the church bells in this city to cause them to be muffled and tolled at proper intervals during the day of his interment and also resolved unanimously that the members of the Common Council will in a body attend and join in the funeral procession of the deceased at the time and place appointed. Likewise resolved unanimously that a committee of three be appointed to make such arrangements in behalf and at the expense of the Common Council of the City of New York for performing the funeral obsequies of the deceased as the said committee shall judge necessary and expedient. Extract from the Minutes, T. Wartman, Clerk. Agreeable to notice, the gentlemen of the bar met at Lovett's Hotel to join in those expressions of sorrow so universally produced by the untimely death of General Hamilton. The meeting was very numerous, and all party distinction was lost in the general sentiment of love and respect for the illustrious deceased. Mr. Harrison, in a few words, with a faltering tongue and a feeling heart, adverted to the sad occasion on which they were called together and in the most affectionate terms mentioned the private virtues, the splendid talents, and the useful services of this best and greatest of men. Amidst countenances which spoke no common grief, the following resolutions were adopted. 
at a general meeting of the gentlemen of the bar of the city of New York at Lovett's Hotel on the 13th of July, 1804, Richard Harrison, Esquire in the chair. This meeting being deeply affected by the death of Alexander Hamilton, the brightest ornament of their profession, whom they have ever held in the most sincere esteem and admiration, whose superior talents, distinguished patriotism, eminent services, and uniform integrity had procured him universal confidence and veneration, and whose loss they lament as a severe private affliction and deplore as a great public calamity resolved that they will unite with their fellow citizens to demonstrate in every suitable manner their sincere respect for the memory of General Hamilton and the deep sense of the loss which their country has sustained, that they will wear crepe as mourning for their deceased brother for the space of six weeks, that Jacob Radcliffe, Josiah O. Hoffman, Nathan Sanford, John Wells, and Daniel D. Tompkins be a committee to make any further arrangements that may be proper on this mournful occasion. Daniel D. Tompkins, Secretary. New York, 12th July, 1804. Brigade Orders. For the purpose of paying the last testimony of military respect to Major General Alexander Hamilton, deceased, the Brigade Company of Artillery, the 6th Regiment, and the uniform companies belonging to the other regiments of the brigade will assemble on Saturday at 9 o'clock a.m. with three rounds of blank cartridges in the park, where they will be joined by the Regiment of Artillery. The whole will be under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Morton. By order of Brigadier General Boyd, Nathan Sanford, Assistant Brigade Major. P.S. The officers not on duty are requested to attend at Mechanic Hall in uniform and with the usual mourning. Artillery. Regimental Orders. Agreeably to Brigade Orders of this date, the 1st Regiment of Artillery will parade in the park on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock. The 1st Battalion with small arms, the 2nd with field artillery. Each man of the 1st Battalion will provide himself with three rounds of blank cartridges to perform the last military obsequies over the grave of the late General Hamilton. Captain McLean will take charge of firing the minute guns. The officers will appear with crepe on the left arm. By order of Lieutenant Colonel Curtenius Robert Swartout, Adjutant, July 12th. Artillery. Captain Depister's company will assemble on the company parade at half past nine o'clock on Saturday morning in full uniform, crepe to be worn on the left arm by order, etc. J.D. Keese, Ordinate Sergeant. July 13th. New York Independent Volunteers. In pursuance of regimental orders of last night, you are ordered to parade on the battery tomorrow morning at nine o'clock precisely with three rounds of blank cartridges. By order, Andrew Smith, Secretary. A meeting of the students at law of this city is requested this evening at 7 o'clock at the office of Joseph Ogden Hoffman Esquire in order to consider in what manner they can best express their sincere regret for the death of the late General Hamilton, July 13th. The students of Columbia College are requested to meet in the College Green tomorrow morning at half after 9 o'clock precisely with their gowns for the purpose of joining in the funeral procession of the late General Hamilton. N.B., the graduates of the college are also desired to attend. Tamaniel Notice. Brothers, your attendance is earnestly requested at an extra meeting of the tribes in the Great Wigwam precisely at the setting of the sun this evening to make arrangements for joining our fellow citizens and soldiers in a procession in order to pay the last tribute of national respect due to the manes of our departed fellow citizen and soldier, General Alexander Hamilton. By order of the Grand Sachem, James D. Bissett, Secretary. 
season of fruit in the year of discovery 312, and of the institution 15th, July 13th. Those members of the General Society of Mechanics and Tradesmen of the City of New York, desirous of paying the last tribute of respect to the remains of General Hamilton, are requested to meet at their new hall on Saturday morning, the 14th instant, precisely at 9 o'clock. St. Andrew's Society The members of the St. Andrew's Society are requested to meet at the Masonic Hall tomorrow morning at half-past 9 o'clock precisely, in order to join the funeral procession of their late, much-respected and sincerely beloved brother, Alexander Hamilton, and to testify the grief and regret they feel in common with their fellow citizens at the irreparable loss this community has sustained by his untimely death. A. Glass, Secretary, July 13th. Funeral Procession The Society of the Cincinnati being charged with the direction of the funeral ceremonies of its President-General, the following is the order of procession which will take place tomorrow at 10 o'clock as commemorative of an event of the deepest national regret. Order of procession. 1. The Military Corps, commanded by Colonel Martin. 2. The Society of the Cincinnati. 3. Clergy of all denominations. 4. The Corpse. 5. The General's Horse. 6. Relations of the Deceased. 7. Physicians. 8. The Judges of the Supreme Court. 9. Mr. Governor Morris in his carriage. 10. Gentlemen of the Bar and Students at Law. 11. The Governor and Lieutenant Governor of the State. 12. The Mayor and Corporation of the City. 13. Members of Congress and Civil Officers of the United States. 14. The Ministers, Consuls, and Residents of Foreign Powers. 15. The Officers of the Army and Navy of the United States. 16. Military and Naval Officers of Foreign Powers. 17. Militia Officers of the State. 18. Presidents, Directors, and Officers of the Respective Banks. 19. Chamber of Commerce and Merchants. 20. Marine Society, Wardens of the Port, and Masters and Officers of all Vessels in the Harbor. 21. The Presidents, Professors, and Students of Columbia College. 22. The different societies in such order as their respective Presidents may arrange. 23. The Citizens in General. The military corps, commanded by Colonel Morton, being ordered to parade in the park at 10 o'clock, accompanied with six pieces of artillery, two of the pieces will remain on the ground under the command of Captain McLean and will fire minute guns from the movement of the corpse until it arrives at Trinity Church. The 6th Regiment, with the colors and music of the several corps, will parade in Robinson Street on the south side fronting Mr. Church's house, standards and music in front of the center, the regiment in solemn attitude resting on arms reversed. On waving the standard of the Cincinnati shrouded in crepe, the regiment will shoulder and receive the corpse proceeding from the house with presented arms, the colors, and music saluted. On a signal trumpet, the regiment will shoulder and the troops in the park will throw themselves in columns and occupy the Broadway with the rear of the column covering the head of Robinson Street and halt. On a signal trumpet, the 6th Regiment in Robinson Street will wheel to the right by platoons and occupy the street in front of the corpse in open column at half distances of platoons and with arms reversed wait the signal. On a signal trumpet, the column will move with the colors and music in the center of the 6th Regiment playing the Dead March with muffled drums. 
Two companies detached from the military in the park will cover the flanks of the corpse in single file with trailed arms from the rear of the 6th Regiment down the line and take their proper position as the corpse enters Broadway. The column advancing will wheel to the left round the park, enter Beekman Street, and passing down Pearl and up Broadway to Trinity Church. The leading wing will form a close column to the right on the church walk, extending to the north corner of Wall Street. Dressing by the left and facing to the right, stand with ordered arms. The rear wing advancing will form close column to the left and facing to the right, extending to the south corner of Wall Street, dressing by the right with ordered arms. Mr. Governor Morris from the portico of the church, the corpse in front on a bier, will deliver an appropriate address, at the conclusion of which the corpse preceded by the military and properly attended, will proceed to the vault, where the military ceremonies will be performed under the order of the Commandant, which will close the solemnities of the day. W.S. Smith, President, W. Popham, Secretary. Funeral Obsequies On Saturday, the next day, the remains of Alexander Hamilton were committed to the grave with every possible testimony of respect and sorrow. The following will present the reader with a correct account of the manner in which the sad solemnities were conducted. The military, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Morton, were drawn up in front of Mr. Church's house in Robinson Street, where the body had been deposited. On the appearance of the corpse, it was received by the whole line with presented arms and saluted by the officers, melancholy music by a large and elegant band. The military then preceded the bier in open column and inverted order, the left in front with arms reversed, the band playing a dead march. At twelve o'clock, the procession moved in the following order, through Beekman, Pearl, and Whitehall streets, and up Broadway to the church. The artillery, the 6th Regiment of Militia, flank companies, Cincinnati Society, a numerous train of clergy of all denominations, the corpse with pallbearers, the general's horse appropriately dressed, his children and relatives, physicians. Governor Morris, the funeral orator in his carriage, the gentlemen of the bar, all in deep mourning, the lieutenant governor of the state in his carriage, corporation of the city of New York, resident agents of foreign powers, officers of our army and navy, military and naval officers of foreign powers, militia officers of the state, the various officers of the respective banks, chamber of commerce and merchants, wardens of the port and masters of vessels in the harbor, the president, professors, and students of Columbia College in mourning gowns, St. Andrew's Society, mostly in mourning, Tamani Society, Mechanic Society, Marine Society, citizens in general. The poll was supported by General Matthew Clarkson, Oliver Walcott Esquire, Richard Harrison Esquire, Abijah Hammond Esquire, Josiah Ogden Hoffman Esquire, Richard Varick, Esquire, William Bayard, Esquire, and his Honorable Judge Lawrence. On the top of the coffin was the general's hat and sword, his boots and spurs reversed across the horse. His gray horse, dressed in mourning, was led by two black servants, dressed in white, and white turbans trimmed with black. The streets were lined with people, doors and windows were filled, principally with weeping females, and even the house tops were covered with spectators who came from all parts to behold the melancholy procession. When the advanced platoon of the military reached the church, the whole column wheeled backward by sections from the flanks of platoons, forming a lane, bringing their muskets to a reversed order, and resting the cheek on the butt of the piece in the customary attitude of grief. 
Through the avenue thus formed, the corpse, preceded by the clergy of different denominations and Society of Cincinnati, and followed by the relations of the deceased and different public bodies, advanced to the church, the band with drums muffled playing all the time a pensive, solemn air. Funeral Oration on a stage erected in the portico of Trinity Church, Mr. Governor Morris, having four of General Hamilton's sons, the eldest about sixteen and the youngest about six years of age, with him, rose and delivered to the immense concourse in front an extemporary oration, which being pronounced slowly and impressively was easily committed to memory, and being very soon afterwards placed on paper, is presumed to be correct even to the language. Fellow Citizens if on this sad, this solemn occasion I should endeavor to move your commiseration, it would be doing injustice to that sensibility which has been so generally and so justly manifested. Far from attempting to excite your emotions, I must try to repress my own, and yet I fear that instead of the language of a public speaker, you will hear only the lamentations of a bewailing friend. But I will struggle with my bursting heart to portray that heroic spirit which has flown to the mansions of bliss. Students of Columbia, he was in the ardent pursuit of knowledge in your academic shades when the first sound of the American War called him to the field. A young and unprotected volunteer, such was his zeal and so brilliant his service, that we heard his name before we knew his person. It seemed as if God had called him suddenly into existence that he might assist to save a world. The penetrating eye of Washington soon perceived the manly spirit which animated his youthful bosom. By that excellent judge of men, he was selected as an aide, and thus he became acquainted with, and was a principal actor in, the most important scenes of our revolution. At the siege of York, he pertinaciously insisted, and he obtained the command of a forlorn hope. He stormed the redoubt, but let it be recorded that not one single man of the enemy perished. His gallant troops, emulating the heroism of their chief, checked the uplifted arm and spared a foe no longer resisting. Here closed his military career. Shortly after the war, your favor, no, your discernment, called him to public office. You sent him to the convention at Philadelphia. He there assisted in forming that constitution which is now the bond of our union, the shield of our defense, and the source of our prosperity. In signing that compact, he expressed his apprehension that it did not contain sufficient means of strength for its own preservation and that, in consequence, we should share the fate of many other republics and pass through anarchy to despotism. We hoped better things. We confided in the good sense of the American people, and above all, we trusted in the protecting providence of the Almighty. On this important subject, he never concealed his opinion. He disdained concealment. Knowing the purity of his heart, he bore it as it were in his hand, exposing to every passenger its inmost recesses. This generous indiscretion subjected him to censure for misrepresentation. His speculative opinions were treated as deliberate designs, and yet you all know how strenuous, how unremitting were his efforts to establish and preserve the Constitution. If, then, his opinion was wrong, pardon, oh, pardon that single error in a life devoted to your service. At the time when our government was organized, we were without funds, though not without resources, to call them into action and establish order in the finances, Washington sought for splendid talents, for extensive information, and above all, he sought for sterling, incorruptible integrity. All these he found in Hamilton. The system then adopted has been the subject of much animadversion. If it be not without a fault, let it be remembered that nothing human is perfect. Recollect the circumstances of the moment. Recollect the conflict of opinion. 
And above all, remember that the minister of a republic must bend to the will of the people. The administration which Washington formed was one of the best that any country was ever blessed with, and the result was a rapid advance in power and prosperity, of which there is no example in any other age or nation. The part which Hamilton bore is universally known. His unsuspecting confidence in professions which he believed to be sincere led him to trust too much to the undeserving. This exposed him to misrepresentation. He felt himself obliged to resign. The care of a rising family and the narrowness of his fortune made it a duty to return to his profession for their support. But though he was compelled to abandon public life, never, no, never for a moment did he abandon the public service. He never lost sight of your interests. I declare to you, before that God in whose presence we are now so especially assembled, that in his most private and confidential conversations, the single objects of discussion and consideration were your freedom and happiness. You well remember the state of things which again called forth Washington from his retreat to lead your armies. You know that he asked for Hamilton to be his second in command. That venerable sage well knew the dangerous incidents of a military profession, and he felt the hand of time pinching life at its source. It was probable that he would soon be removed from the scene, and that his second would succeed to command. He knew by experience the importance of that place, and he thought the sword of America might safely be confided to the hand which now lies cold in that coffin. Oh, my fellow citizens, remember this solemn testimonial, that he was not ambitious. Yet he was charged with ambition, and wounded by the imputation, when he laid down his command, he declared in the proud independence of his soul that he never would accept of any office, unless in a foreign war he should be called on to expose his life in defense of his country. This determination was immovable. It was his fault that his opinions and his resolutions could not be changed. Knowing his own firm purpose, he was indignant at the charge that he sought for place or power. He was ambitious only of glory, but he was deeply solicitous for you. For himself he feared nothing, but he feared that bad men might, by false professions, acquire your confidence and abuse it to your ruin. Brethren of the Cincinnati, there lies our chief. Let him still be our model. Like him, after long and faithful public service, let us cheerfully perform the social duties of private life. Oh, he was mild and gentle. In him there was no offense, no guile. His generous hand and heart were open to all. Gentlemen of the bar, you have lost your brightest ornament. Cherish and imitate his example. While like him, with justifiable, with laudable zeal, you pursue the interests of your clients, remember like him the eternal principles of justice. Fellow citizens, you have long witnessed his professional conduct and felt his unrivaled eloquence. You know how well he performed the duties of a citizen. You know that he never courted your favor by adulation or the sacrifice of his own judgment. You have seen him contending against you and saving your dearest interests, as it were, in spite of yourselves. And now you feel and enjoy the benefits resulting from the firm energy of his conduct. Bear this testimony to the memory of my departed friend. I charge you to protect his fame. It is all he has left all that these poor orphan children will inherit from their father. But, my countrymen, that fame may be a rich treasure to you also. Let it be the test by which to examine those who solicit your favor. Disregarding professions, view their conduct, and on a doubtful occasion ask, Would Hamilton have done this thing? You all know how he perished. On this last scene I cannot, I must not dwell. It might excite emotions too strong for your better judgment. 
Suffer not your indignation to lead to any act which might again offend the insulted majesty of the law. On his part, as from his lips, though with my voice, for his voice you will hear no more, let me entreat you to respect yourselves. And now, ye ministers of the everlasting God, perform your holy office, and commit these ashes of our dear departed brother to the bosom of the grave. The oration being finished, the corpse was carried to the grave, where the usual funeral service was performed by the Reverend Bishop Moore. The troops who had entered the churchyard formed an extensive hollow square, and terminated the solemnities with three volleys over the grave. During the procession, there was a regular discharge of minute guns from the battery by a detachment from the regiment of artillery. The different merchant vessels in the harbor wore their colors half-mast, both this and the preceding day. His Britannic Majesty's ship of war, Boston, Captain Douglas, at anchor within the hook, appeared in mourning the whole morning, and at ten o'clock she commenced firing minute guns, which were continued forty-eight minutes. His Majesty's packet, Lord Charles Spencer, Captain Coatsworth also was in mourning and fired an equal number of guns. The French frigates Sabelle and Dedon were also put into full mourning, both this and the preceding day, with yards peaked. They also fired minute guns during the procession. These marks of attention will be gratefully received by our fellow citizens as evidence how highly the deceased was respected and esteemed by the French and English officers. End of section 2